What's going on? Week one, or at least episode one of the Ringers Dual Threat Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rosillo, and we'll be doing it all throughout the football season, and that's kind of the plan for those that may not know. Uh, I'll be doing these every week. We're going to try to line it up, not just after the NFL weekend, but sync it up with college football playoff rankings, and those come out on Tuesday nights. We're obviously not going to have those rankings until, what, like week eight of the season. But uh, that's the plan, because I love both sports, and I'll be traveling for college football this fall as well as I try to figure out that schedule. But yeah, that's the schedule. I'll be doing this here at The Ringer, and then once football season is over, I'll transition to co-hosting with Bill one day a week as we talk NBA for the next six months, and then we'll be like July 30th, and there'll be a fifth-year guy that's not tendered, and we go, okay, I think our work is done here. Uh, Bill is going to join me very shortly here on the podcast as we go through. I think as I try to work all the different ways that I want to do it, I may just sort of have five topics, five theories, storylines, headlines that I want to get to right off the bat. So you know that we'll likely have a guest every single week. And McShay is going to join us as well. And that's kind of a, you know, I'm just not going to be all ESPN guys or anything like that. But McShay is my man. He's a guy I've been best friends with for a really long time before I even started working at ESPN. And he's perfect for talking about the rookie QBs in the NFL and getting ready for the college football season. So uh, before we do that, considering McShay helped me get my job at ESPN 12, 13 years ago, hiring used to be hard. ZipRecruiter has a solution for you. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan. That's R-Y-E-N. Yes, I know. My parents did it. I was not involved in the naming of me. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan. That's R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Dodd McShay on the rookies in the NFL college ball. Bill Simmons right now. This is awkward because I'm in your office and I was waiting for you and now I'm interviewing you sort of on my first podcast for The Ringer. It's not an interview. I'm just setting some picks. Is that how you feel? Yeah. I'm just, you tell me to run a a sweep and I'll just block for you and knock down some D-backs. All right. Best holders in the game. (laughs) Top five. Uh, I, I think there's a little irony here and I think I already know now your answer because you know, I think you and I both know Brady's done that EEI interview forever on the morning show. Yeah. And he hung up this week. And I thought, okay, before I say anything, I want to hear it. So then I went and I listened to the whole thing. By, by the way, smart. Because in the old days, maybe you just say something and then you didn't listen. People, you didn't actually. Well, so how many times? All the facts. Okay. But how many times have you done? This is a whole other topic, but there are times where I was prepping for the show. I'd be like, Roy Williams said, what? What a jerk. I can't believe he said that. I think there was one thing he said in the tournament. He's like, look, we don't have these guys. We don't have Barkley. We don't have Carl Malone. And everybody's like, oh, wow. Roy Williams doesn't have these superstars. Yeah. And he actually was complimenting his team. But yeah. in print, it sounded awful. So he wrote out this whole segment, screw Roy Williams segment. And then somebody's like, hey, we got that audio. 
You want to hear it before you do the show? <laughs> when you're younger, you might be like, nah. Yeah, I already wrote out the segment. And I listen, I go, huh. All right, we're going to have mm. to come up with another topic at 15 because I can't do it. So yeah, that's that. how many times like it happens all the time. Well, now we know because the Twitter mobs come right after you and make you feel like a dumbass. So you got, you have to go the right. extra step, which is good. It's a good place. So I, I listened and I think knowing what it's like to be a host, you're sort of prying a little, but you're you're passively prying. And I think it's a real thing. Like his trainer was part of this drama from last year, Guerrero. We don't really know his deal. I'm in the pliability thing, not me specifically. I don't see the point because I'm As just- a Pats fan, I like how you've made this intentionally ambiguous. Yeah, but Guerrero. I'm not that much of a Pats fan anymore. Well, you're from New England. Yeah, your but- Your family cares about the Pats. People in your life care about the Pats. Yeah. No? I don't know, man. I mean, once I got bounced for that pre-show thing. Oh, I forgot yeah, about that. And it was yeah. like really, really uncalled for. Wow, so it actually- made you not like the pats my father hates them oh that's interesting yeah i had no idea yeah he's like they did my kid i wrong. forgot about this you yeah. had this whole other life right. last decade right. feuding so. with people and i was great <laughs> i'm so relaxed out here in la so my point was this is that <laughs> is if you're brady like i don't think you've been i don't think you've been met now look he hasn't done much to be messed with i mean unless you want to get into the whole deflategate stuff and all that stuff right but i thought it was kind of lame of him to hang up and I thought that you were going to have his back like you always do. What happened to you? I don't know why he does these interviews. I, I'm going to start there. Like I'll, I can't, I can't believe he still does them. Sometimes on Monday nights, I'll be driving during like either before the game or at halftime. And he's talking to Jim Gray on Westwood One. That Jim Gray one that he does? That one's yeah. even weirder. And I'm like, why is he doing it? Like, are they paying him $100 million a year to do this? What? How is this worth it for him? He's got... Not only has he made a crap load of money, but he's married to the supermodel who makes $40 million a year. They did the time versus time. They have like the biggest mansion in Brookline. Why does he need to do this Jim Gray thing? I got to tell you, I could do a Jim Gray podcast. Well, that's, yeah, right. maybe we leave that on the table. <laughs> but I don't understand. Why does he go in WEI? Why does he do anything? I, the WEI one, I guess you could at least say like if he didn't know any better and they got him early and it was part of, you know, how those those interviews work back then is like you actually get paid for those. Like I remember when we were at the zone, we were trying to get guys in and Damian Woody would come in and ask him for seven copies of Madden. <laughs> right. And I'd be like, come on, dude. Like I but can't give Damian you all Woody. my video. Right. But my point is Tom Brady can make money all these different ways, right? Like he can, if he needs to make an extra $1.5 million, just like do a deal with Gatorade or Adidas or do some ad and he could make that in one day. He could go do two speaking engagements. Do you think it's what makes him want to reach out to the WEI audience? I don't understand. And it's huge for the station because it's literally the only audio that anyone would ever care about nationally. Like once that thing is over, I mean, not this isn't it's not even a knock on them. It's like no, no ESPN's rarely going to be running anybody's local content from local right. radio. But how so many times has he broken news on that? How many times has something happened in the interview that became a thing? I don't it even know like that it's it matters. Only downside. I think because he so rarely does anything that there's just audio and it's and it's good for EI. It's good for them because it just it, it's it's iconed, it's up, you know what I mean? Whatever that's worth, we've got to get Ravel to calculate what that means in in visual dollars. Let's not. All right. I love asking <laughs> Ravel. Be like, what's that in waffles though? What does that mean? Um I just don't understand. 
what's in it for him and what's been in it for him the last 10 years. There's only downside. Do you think he's, he thinks he he's like connecting to the local? Like it's, it's him not understanding that no one actually cares and that he's right, not so really connecting. So let's play this out. What is in it for him? Because it can't be money because he can make money doing anything. Does he, it, does he think like this is a really important station and if I have this weekly thing, they're going to treat me better than maybe they normally would. This is his way, like an end around way of buttering everybody up. Maybe, but I don't know. Like, does he need to butter up this no. fan base? Because he's amazing. That's right. I don't understand why he needs to do this. It's so, not like learning about Jay Cutler. Like Cutler used to do it at ESPN 1000 with Waddle yeah. and Sylvie. And I got to know those guys and I like those dudes. And I'd say, what's, what's Cutler's deal? And they'd yeah. go, he kind of just is over it. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, well, is that really who he is? And they go, yeah, like it's really who he is. I go, well, that, why does he come on? They'd be like, well, because, you know, Waddle played for the Bears and, you know, he connects that way with them, you know, and I don't know. Do you know Waddle? Yeah, I think you'd know about him. White receiver, BC. BC guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a big Chicago guy. So, I get it if it's somebody like Scalabrini where a guy on a You're building bench, something. Yeah. Right. It's like I, after I retire, I want to do this. But so anyway, I agree with you that uh, I listen. I'm I'm a huge Pat Homer, and I still think Brady got just bamboozled with Deflategate. I'll never understand how it played out the way it was. But with this, it's like the Guerrero things are fair questions. This is somebody he's attached to the hip with. He has a business with him. He has this whole kind of performance thing that he's created with the dude and pliability and do a diet differently, all this stuff. And he's gotten other teammates in and then Edelman's involved with them. And then Edelman gets a PD suspension. Like that does feel newsworthy. I'm even as a Pat's homer, I'm like, ah, I, I got to concede. This does feel newsworthy. Yeah. That was kind of my point. Like you, you can't act as if, first of all, you're doing the interview for every week. You've signed on to the whole thing. And I actually applaud the host now as opposed to the host before that used to just, I mean, the thing is, is what were you going to criticize him about every Monday? Be like, all right, Tom, no more picks. And you guys pulled it out. And you know, num yeah. number one seed. I mean, the guy, that's the thing is like, I try to explain to people, I can love something and also be critical of one part of it. And that's pretty much where I'm at with him. But yeah, like, the thing is weird. I do think the pliability thing is funny that when he did that feature, I think it was with Gandhi on SportsCenter a year or so ago, and, and he took his shirt off, that people were like super bummed out and not impressed. And yeah. you're like, yeah, but that's the pliability method. Right. And whenever you have multiple trainers, like anybody that's ever hung out at a gym, every trainer thinks every other trainer sucks. They're like, oh, dude, clothes grip. <laughs> so when you, when you have when you have a guy like that around a pro football team yeah. like the other trainers are going to think he sucks and he's going to think everybody else sucks so you're inviting i mean you're serious it's like polygamy yeah <laughs> you're just inviting some sort of problem unless that works out for you so i don't i don't know I, I i don't understand why he was so upset about it and it made me think that like his threshold for this is annoying is like you think that was bad that wasn't bad he's definitely you could feel it last year. You're starting to get a little strange. Yeah, what's going on there? Strange, like not in a, not in a harmful way, not in like a Michael Jackson, like all of a sudden adopting giraffes and shit like that kind of way, but just got a little weird. Like, I don't think he would have done time versus time five years ago. I don't think he would have said stuff like, I can't get whatever the thing about concussions I do that. I won't get concussions. You won't get concussions or you're way less prone to get concussions if you do this and- um, but on the other hand, like he's been in my life now since 2000 and he's like a family member and it's like people in your life get weird, you know, like my dad's fucking getting weird. He's 70. 
my uncles get weird and people in your life as you get older. Like I've known you for a while. You've gotten weird. I've probably gotten weird to you. And it's like, it's part of the package with Brady. He's 41. He's fucking getting weird. Okay. I think we got it. How is uh, that for a defense? No, I I'm, I'm surprised that you, well, actually, no, I'm not surprised because you have common sense. And when you hear the audio, you're like, what? Like you're upset about See, this. I don't know. Whatever. It's just for him to think that he's going to do that interview every week and they're not going to ask about Alex Guerrero seems naive to me. He's not, and he's not a naive guy. He's super smart. He okay. knows that's coming. Yeah. So but there you go. Tom Curran right. wrote a really good piece about it though. Curran's great. Saying basically like, this is the new Tom Brady. He's, he doesn't care anymore. He realizes like he's not trying to pretend to be something he's not. If he doesn't like questions, he's not going to answer. He doesn't get, he's almost like that old Seinfeld bit about, when people get old, they just back out of the driveway. Like, ah, I'm just backing up. Fuck it. Yeah. And and my, dad started, my dad started smoking cigars because he travels yeah. now. And he like my my brother's, you know, married and his his wife's pregnant. And he just started lighting up a smoke a cigar. Didn't care. Yeah. And people were like, hey, dude, what, what are you doing? And then he and backed like, out of the driveway. Yeah, right. And he was mad somebody hit him. All right. <laughs> I've got, I want to do this thing that I'm going to do kind of like newsworthy on the NFL stuff. McShay, yeah. as I mentioned, is going to join us as we do kind of a rookie QB transition to some college ball. And that's the dual threat every week. But here's something uh, I've been thinking a lot about. Are we really all okay with Jimmy Garoppolo being at the time when he was signed, the highest paid player in NFL history, the highest average annual salary, the guaranteed money's a little bit less. He's since been surpassed with uh, Ryan's extension. But here's the deal. Five starts against the Bears who stunk and Mitch Trubisky. The Texans who played Yates and Tom Savage. Nine and seven Titans beat Mariota. He was terrific against the Jags, beat Bortles. 11 and five Rams, they beat them, but it was Sean Mannion and no Gurley in that game. And when I read the piece, a great piece by Robert Mays. Yeah. And like, there's so many great things in there, but that you also can be like, wait a minute, what? So he throw like five picks. His actual, his touchdown to pick, ratio isn't great if you go through the seven starts he's probably lit it up like four games and that's fine but the schedule it, it was like one maybe one and a half good teams and then the front office for san francisco says we went right into it very aggressive and told them we wouldn't use the franchise tag it's like okay so then you've already disarmed yourself with something that you could use in negotiation and then you paid him the highest average annual salary after five to seven starts i think vegas has him as like the sixth best odds for mvp of the season i saw that I that's was like am i the only sane person here that is like i don't i don't i feel like this whole thing could have been handled differently and the hype is too much for garoppolo you made a great case can i make a counter yeah i actually watched those games and wagered on them because i really thought jimmy g was going to do great so I watched those Niners games. So you feel good because you were in early on the position. I was super in early. I, I'm very listen. I've been wrong a million times. I'm very proud of how I benefited financially from the Jimmy G era in San Francisco. And I watched those games. His supporting cast was awful. The amount of drops that he had and like plays where just somebody screwed up, where he made the right play and something bad happened. Not great weapons. Um, it was kind of staggering that they won with how bad everybody else was. And I felt like his stats actually should have been a lot better. He and had a couple I, games that were monstrous. I was like, I'm shocked not... by how consistently really good he was and really had no weapons, didn't have a great offensive line. And uh, I'm a believer. The only thing that worried me was the stuff about comparing himself to Vince from Entourage. It was a fucking huge red flag. Nobody likes Entourage that much. Come on. Nobody liked Vince that much. Nobody liked Vince. There's no like Vince fans. People like the show, but nobody's like, you know how I fucking miss Vince. 
I like how anybody that has that run, it's like a rule in this city. We're like, we're going to give him two movies. We'll give him two movies. (laughs) He's going to be the main guy. Right. If Grenier shows up in the second one is the same fucking guy's entourage, then like, he's in Devil Wears Prada. He's like a chef. He's like Vince. Yeah, he's a chef. chef. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You just keep looking around for Turtle. But, but yeah, I, that was the only red flag for me was that he, in a almost like a bragging way, was like, "Yeah, we're it's we're like Vince and my buddies are like the other guys in Entourage." It's like that's not a good thing to say. Yeah, that sounded dumb. And then there was that weird Instagram post where we couldn't figure out if he was off the Pats, and I didn't yeah. think that was anything more than like probably your buddies being stupid with your Instagram account, not realizing that you're going to be headline news the whole time. Mm. I forget who it was that I worked with, but I think somebody I worked with actually said that proves he's not a leader. I wouldn't invest in him. I'm not going that far. I just thought the whole premise of we have to pay him more than anyone else ever at the position after five starts with us seemed to be a lot. But even Lynch said in the piece, he said like they wanted all this credit for front loading it so they'd have cap space off it later. So it's 37 million in the first year. Yeah. And Lynch is like, yeah, we're, we're really smart with the way we front load these. And you're like, it's not really that hard of a concept to understand. You put more money in the beginning so that there's less money later on. Jake Glazer <laughs> was on my pod two years ago and told this story about how John Lynch had 37 Mai Tais. <laughs> so every time John Lynch says anything about football, I always go back to the 37 Mai Tai story. And be like, that guy's. Does Glazer think that's an Lynch. accurate number? No, he counted. He was adamant that that was the story. It was 37 Mai Tais. Yeah. That's, it's like the Wade Boggs 100 beers. Who knows? I think Wade, I, I believe 100 beers before I believe 37 Mai Tais. About Jimmy G. Yeah. They're getting some buzz. And I've noticed like, uh, there's, there's every year this happens in the NFL. There's the teams that get hyped who haven't done jack shit, and in August it's like, oh, watch out for the oh, they, they, these guys might actually, make, and it's always the worst possible thing that could happen to the team. But there's one team out there that this is happening to now, and I feel like it's going to single handedly cripple them. Have you noticed? It's one team. It's one team that everybody's on. It's getting and just a staggering, incredible amount of these guys could make the Super Bowl. You know who's really good? These guys. The odds reflect it. The fantasy, like the San Diego, uh, the San Diego now LA Chargers. Yeah, I've seen that. Like I've we had that. a piece on the Ringer, Danny Heifetz wrote today about the hype train, and I feel like everybody's picking them to win the division. They have. I saw some fantasy defense list. They were the fourth highest defense out of all the fantasy things. Well, Ingram um, and Bosa are monsters. So I mean, at least from a roster standpoint. But I like the fact that the. the we see this with football where people go, you know, they had bad luck in close games. You go back last year and the kicker, it's like, yeah, but I watched those games. Like they weren't well coached. They did dumb things. They have the same coach they had last year. Every game it looked like Rivers players. was going to die at the end. Yeah, too. River, Rivers every I think week. is really erratic in some yeah. of these close ones and makes a dumb play at a bad time. And I've just not sold in the coach at all. They're going to make the Super Bowl? That sounds crazy. But that's always what's so hard, though. Like when you look at the AFC, and I was doing this last night, yeah, where I went like seven to eight NFC teams deep, yeah, where it it feels like a more exaggerated exaggerated version of Western Eastern Conference in the NBA. Because after New England and Pittsburgh, like who do you really get excited about? Like, am I supposed to be excited about Jacksonville again, who had zero injury games basically? Like they could they've had one of the healthiest rosters we've ever seen over a full season. Um, I don't know what to make of Bortles. Like, I hope it kind of works out for him. He seems like a nice enough guy, but I don't have a ton of trust there. And then when it comes back down to like What's New wrong England, Tennessee, why are people not inspired by them? 
I feel like everybody liked them last year. Like your Chargers take is what it was all about with the Titans last year. Well, but the, they changed their coach, though. And yeah, I and their secondary, say, like, their, their corners are good. They're deep at corner. I think Mariota's okay. I don't think he's like special. I think Mike Vrabel is going to be a good coach. And it's funny. I think he's a much better bet than Matt Patricia, who I was really never that impressed with and I think has the potential to be a disaster in Detroit. Whereas like Vrabel- He's a rocket scientist. You know I know, I'm so tired of hearing how smart he is. He was so <laughs> smart. We fucking bench Malcolm Butler. But um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the uh, I always try to look for like the team. Like last year I had the Rams. I'm very proud to say like the Rams were my team last year. And the biggest reason was Jeff Fisher to Todd McVay. Plus they had a lot of blue chips. And even Sean's thought to be pretty good. Yeah, Sean McVay. <laughs> Who did I say, Todd? Yeah. Well, he's coming up later. Yeah. Todd McVeigh is coming up later. If I could later. get Sean McVeigh on the podcast. <laughs> Sean McVeigh and Todd McVeigh. You, you know what I'm kind of, like a real quick thing though, like, and I'm, I'm obsessed with asking like football people that have covered the league for years and years. Yeah. How is it that only Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVeigh can dial up an offense now? Like how, how is it that there's two people in the world that are like, oh, there's those two guys. What about McDaniels? There's three. <sighs> yeah. I don't. You're not McDaniels? Wait, can I go back to my Rams point? Yes, please do. I just, I think it's it was weird really that there's two people in the world that apparently can do it. Mediocre coach to potentially a really good coach, who cha culture changer. Uh, nobody liked the Titans coach. He won a playoff game and still got fired. Nobody was a fan. I think if people Rabel's weren't sure good, his name, could that be worth two wins, three wins? Could that be the difference between being like a nine and seven range team to um, if the Jags take a step back? I'm not sold on Andrew Luck at all. It's, okay. it's so funny hearing people talk about Andrew Luck. Like, look, if he's healthy, he's a top 10 QB. It's like, yeah, exactly. If he's healthy. Right. And he doesn't, we have he no didn't idea look, if he's going to be healthy. He didn't look great uh, in the preseason at all, which is like, because I'm a huge Andrew Luck guy. But I think it might be based on the division then, because I don't know what to do with Jacksonville. We expect the defense to be really good. We don't know what to do with Bortles. Um, I still don't really know that I love their weapons, and even they have taken a hit. Uh, Tennessee, I'm kind of mad on, even though I like the secondary. Um, and then Houston and Deshaun Watson, like as great as Deshaun was last year. And he was over that stretch. He was incredible. Really fun. To watch. And for a guy that actually threw a lot of picks yep. still statistically, like some of the games that he had were off the charts, but there'd be games and throws where I'd go, is this all just sort of working out or is he going to be able to do this all the time? Because to be long-term successful, like I almost wonder if there's a Deshaun Watson correction coming in the second year. And I don't mm. think it'll have anything to do with his health or the injury. Well, it came off a major knee injury, which seems like an issue. And they have like one of the three or four worst offensive lines in either conference. And I was early, I was like, oh, Houston, you know, Watson will be back. That I've, I'm completely out. I'm on the other way now. But my question is who is the team we're not going to see coming? Because we always hear the sleeper, sleeper, sleeper. And it's always somebody nobody saw coming, which was part of the case for the Rams last year who is that team that's the one i still haven't figured out yet because you know it's going to be somebody like the jets it just is it's going to be like somebody's going to go 10 and 6 and we're not going to know what, what about denver i saw so i was looking at them too i don't like the coach but they have a lot of the other things you would want right if keenum is much better than all the crappy quarterbacks they had last year i mean year, they had a stretch of some of the worst quarterback play in the history of this awful league. and so when people look at like their defense taking a step back, like my argument was always that defense halfway through the season is like this is pointless. Who's the running back that got in the third round? Uh, uh, my man, Rolls Royce Freeman. So if he's good and Keenum's good, because their running backs weren't good last year either. That was the other thing. Ever everyone was, uh, you know, they 
Dude, and I, they have Bradley Chubb to pair with Vaughn Miller. And if Keenum, yeah. I think Keenum just has to be like slightly above average and maybe they win the division. And what if, what does Emmanuel Sanders do with Keenum? He feels fantasy sleepery to me. I, I, I'm with you. I think Denver, it, it's going to have to take the Chargers or the Chiefs to stumble a little. I would bet more on the Chargers. I, for some reason, I have like Stockholm syndrome with the Chiefs now. I just assume like, oh yeah, Pat Mahomes, it'll be fine. They'll go 11 and five. Like I, I, there's no rationalization anymore. Yeah. They're like the team that you always pencil in for more wins than you expect without any fear whatsoever. It's if you like, have to they're play like the, the Popovich Spurs for, where you're just like, ah, I don't, I, I have no idea, but I know they're going to win 48 games. But see, I think one of the, the crazy things about the Mahomes throw in the preseason, the Hill that everybody freaked out about. It was great. It was great, but he's going to do that a lot and screw it up. Yeah. Like that's who he was at Tech. Like it's it's these massive throws that you go. Eh, I don't know where that one's going. But if and you're a Chiefs fan and you just sat through this like kind of successfully unsatisfying Alex Smith era, yeah, third and seven, I'll take a sack. Yeah, or like I'm gonna roll out and here's a scream. Like to have Throw this guy who's bringing out the fucking bazooka every once in a while, you're yeah. so excited. You like, know oh my God, whoa, that thing went 80 yards. Are you allowed to throw it that far? Oh, uh, you know what? We didn't even mention the Raiders yet. Gruden is destroying the front office that he inherited. Yeah. Like, did you see the quote that he had the other day where he's like, well, we got nothing out of the 13 draft and 14, 15, and 16. There's nothing. And it's like, it, Khalil Mack, that was my favorite. Like, the Raiders were kind of one of these teams that we're talking about a little bit. Like, last year, a lot of people were like, Raiders, car MVP. That's, that's, there's your Super Bowl team. And I, it was funny because when we were doing the radio show, I'd always go, their defense stunk in 16. And we're just assuming because like it's it's just this natural progression where we go, oh, well, Carr's really good. He's going to be solid. They had another receiver. Um, you know, the Marshawn thing was super People overrated. People penciled them into the AFC West. Totally. And totally. it was like, well, easy schedule last year. They had that crazy game where they went for the two point and one. And they, they could, easily no could have gone eight and eight. No one could ever name anybody else on the defense. They'd be yeah. like, oh, Khalil Mack and those guys. And that became our joke. So I kept Khalil asking, and those guys. I, I keep asking every analyst, I'd be like, what do you think about their defense? I'd be like, oh, Khalil Mack off the edge. And, you know, they got some pieces. Yeah. No one could ever name the other guys. <laughs> no, like even guys that were covering it. And so I was like, that's a sign. That's a sign. We're like seven analysts in a row haven't named one other defensive player besides Khalil Mack. So, well, what about the fact that John Gruden was in a TV booth for 12 years? The he did as much football coaching the last 12 years as you and I did. <laughs> Although I do love that he was annoyed with Marquette King, the punter, and it mentioned that during games. It was like the first order of business. He's like, let's get this showboat punter the hell out of here. Yeah, you showed him <laughs> that, that showboat punter. This is a big all difference. I think he's going to be a disaster. I The one thing I've learned over the years with football picks is you got to go all in on like nine things, whether it's like I think the Rams are going to make the playoffs or – I think Pat Mahomes is going to be good right away. You just got to you just got to dive in. And one of my dive-ins I think this year is going to be I think he's going to be terrible. I think there's no evidence. He wasn't even really a good coach in Tampa after that first year. He hasn't been a successful coach for 15 years. And also, I wasn't impressed listening to him in on Monday night football games. I thought he was like the master of the cliché. I never heard real insight from him. I do think he got better. I I thought in the beginning he better? was a yeah, I thought he got so he better. So from a D minus to a no, C minus? I don't, I don't think he was ever that. I, I thought it Are you going to miss him? Um, Ooh, yeah. our first third rail ESPN topic. I know. Uh, He's not there anywhere. He there's, can say whatever he wants. No, it's not even that. Latin like I was afraid. Can I answer for you? Hey, by the way, when I'm he was there, when he was there, I started getting a little annoyed with his whole flirtation with everybody else. Like, that's the thing that used to bother me, is that he, I think, was paid more than anybody else on air at ESPN. 
I think he, it's almost a fact. I think he had the highest salary yeah. in the history of ESPN. Right. And he would get a raise every time there would be some flirtation with another job. And he loved it. He loved it. And then he like went on in our Seattle affiliate and for without any prompting whatsoever was like, ah, that Rocky Top. Love that song. Knoxville, Tennessee. And the two hosts were like, what? He's And he just started like talking about because Tennessee was, you know, every yeah. year the Vols were going to hire him. And I'm like, you know, dude, you can't. Like, if you do that and you're just screwing with an entire SEC fan base, and like I get maybe you get a raise every time you do it, which probably should have stopped happening. Um, I don't know. That bummed me out more than anything that he may or may not have been as an announcer. I'm not gonna miss him. But do you feel that I way? Didn't like, learn anything from right, the games? But how many him? guys? How many guys do you do you turn into any broadcast now because of an announcer? No, but what I want is at least a modicum of. Keep me interested. Don't just speak in cliches. Be fair. But my new pet peeve is when the people go all in on the officials but won't ever criticize a coach. It's like, if you're going to criticize people in the game, be an equal opportunity criticizer. You can't just... No, Gruden, that's... Yeah, like Gruden Van, Van Gundy, gloves. I love, but he'll ne- hit he'll to never like say anything about a coach ever. Is ever. But every ref is like, he'll dissect to the right. bitter end. Every Gruden, coach has gotten screwed. And I'm like, come on, man. You Gruden know, with true. coaches and QBs would never say anything about either of them. And it's like, I'm sorry, but when you're watching football, those are the two most important people in the field, the coach and the QB. And if you're not going to criticize their decisions, why are you there? Well, that was like that Peyton Manning year when they actually ended up winning the whole thing. God. And he just wasn't good that year. But every announcer, because everybody likes Peyton. Yeah. Peyton's a good hang. Oh, He's a nice, huh, and like, the know-how. Right. And Chris, oh, watch what Peyton does here. He just he sees this guy. But it, like, I remember I did this. I went crazy. It ended up being one of those things that actually like people picked up on Ooh, like Collinsworth like would be like, ah, you know, it'd be third and seven. He hit somebody in a nine yard out and he'd be like, ah, shoulder issues. And I'd be like, what do you mean, yeah. dude? He's throwing pop-ups <laughs> 13 yards. Right. Like, yes. Like his numbers are terrible. He is not the same guy physically. It is okay. So you can't do like, you know who else used to do that all the time is the Celtics broadcast to do that on Rondo. Like Rondo would hit a jumper and they'd be yeah. like, people say he can't shoot. Like, cause he can't. Yeah, right. like, it's okay. That's why they played seven feet off him. <laughs> That's why Kobe in the finals played center yeah, defensively. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, did I ever tell you that Peyton's wife, like Uh-oh. saw me at a party, grabbed uh, I, me. I thought this is going to turn into like a threesome story. I got scared for a second. No. Not this kind of podcast. <laughs> and, and she she pulled me aside and she's like, you're Ryan. You're that NBA guy. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. What's yeah. up? How are she's you? like, I'm Peyton Manning's wife. And I was like, oh, no way. That's oh, great. She's really nice. I've met her. Really, yeah, she's, she's so nice. nice. And she's like, you got to come over and say hi to Peyton. Yeah. And it was after he'd hosted the SB, So it was two summers ago. And we we're all out here in L.A. for the show. And she comes over and Peyton's like, hey, you know. How's it going? You know, <laughs> he didn't care. And yeah. he had like this big goon who was sitting next to him. And yeah. His job was to stare at you to tell you basically like, don't hang out. It's and time. I, and yeah. I had just gotten there. So it wasn't like, I know the versions of like, you can be standing a place you're not supposed to be standing because you think you're supposed to be standing there. And I was like fully aware of like what was going on. And I'm going, all right, this guy doesn't want me here. And that's fine. And I was like, hey, nice to meet you. Thanks so much. Good job tonight. The SP because I actually thought he did a better job than people. You know, I didn't yeah. know if he was going to be good or not. And it's a tough gig anyway. And then his wife's like, he made fun of you, ripped you, said you sucked all year on his radio show. And I was like, oh, sweet. Really? And he's like, well, uh, you know, hey. <laughs> and the that's guy, so weird. it sucked. 
it sucked. And I was, I, I was like, oh, really? And I was like, you brought me over here to say hi. I didn't know this was an ambush. And then luckily she switched it enough at the end. She's like, really, it was more Danny Cannell. He shit on you a lot more. And he's like, well, Danny, you know, hey, hey. he's a Bronco. <laughs> and he got ambushed by Peyton Manning's wife. I think one of my favorite memories of the Cannell pairing was when we were at a Super Bowl party in San Francisco when when Peyton was there and Elway came over and said to Danny, he's like, well, you know, you're always part of the Bronco family. And I started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were the other things on the list? Oh, sorry. We did Garoppolo. We did Garoppolo. We did a little bit Sean By the way, my last point on Garoppolo is I have no context of any of these NFL salaries. And, and the cap who, is going to go up. It's so, not like basketball right. where it's like. DeMar DeRozan makes $28 million this year or whatever. Yeah, I know Lowry what that and DeRozan means. are I can 50. compare that against everybody. Yeah. You know, with the football, it's like, all right, so that's so that's the first year thing, but then if it's spread out and then they can renegotiate it. Um, I had just an Eagles thought. Yeah. Everybody tries to do something different, something provocative, and now the new thing is Doug Peterson went through it with Green Bay where they were trying to come back when he was, I think, the backup. Yeah. And they lost, what, the QB coach, they lost the OC, but they had coaches in place to promote from within. The Wentz injury feels more significant, and we just sort of penciled them in and that they'll be fine. But, like, the Foles thing is a fluke. The Foles run is a fluke. And I remember going back and forth when I was trying to figure out how to pick the Super Bowl. I'm going, am I really going to pick Nick Foles against Bill Belichick? Like, that seems stupid. I'm not going to do that. And I ended up being wrong, okay? But... We've seen fluky runs to Super Bowls before with quarterbacks who've never been the guy that they showed us for, say, three or four weeks. Because even Foles' run isn't as great as Flacco's run. Um, Flacco's run is still the greatest run, like, in the history of football. I don't... It's, I, it's unassailably the best. It doesn't... It doesn't make... It'd be like... I'm trying to think of, like, a good comp It can't happen here. in basketball. No, it can't, but I'm trying to in think baseball, of, like, what it would happens. be. It would be like some random starter just going, like, 7-0 in the postseason. It'd be like Sean Marion just getting 40 a game and leading the Suns to a title. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm like trying yeah. to think of somebody who's established in basketball. Right. It, it can actually, but I feel like the Eagles have enough talent to do it. They're getting other guys back that they hadn't had. Their defensive line looks to be terrific. You know, there was a couple, it feels like their weapons aren't exactly what you want it to be, but still. Why? So you're saying why not the Eagles? Yeah. Why not? The, why don't like the Eagles feel like because it's their one Super Bowl in team history that people are like, ah, yep, they partied a lot and, you know, they'll be done. They're not going to be as focused. Right. Well, if you look at it the other way, if Atlanta doesn't screw up that goal line, you know, four downs inside the five or whatever, and they just take care of business in that game, maybe the Eagles were meant to win this year. And last year, even before Wentz got hurt, I don't think people were kind of locked into the Eagles in the Super Bowl. They were a contender, but um, it felt like that was like their breakout year. And then maybe this year was going to be the year. And then all of a sudden everything happens. They win the Super Bowl. But that doesn't mean that this year still can't be the year that where they're actually better than they were last year. I, I've seen that people are shorting them. I know I saw Francesa that is over under. He had Eagles under 10. What's your deal with Francesa? Well, it's he's family. Yeah, I'm not knocking it. I've just I meant, always meant to ask you that, probably off the air. Okay, we'll talk about it off the air. All right. I don't like their division at all. I think Dallas sucks. I think the Giants, they're basically they put all the eggs into the Eli basket. We've no idea what that looks like. And then Washington, I do like their their receivers though. Washington, like Jay Gruden, Alex Smith. I don't know. Maybe Joe House is optimistic with Washington. 
But I think Philly by far is the best team in that division. I, like for them not to win that division, I would think something really bad. Would I'd feel better way. about Dallas if I knew the offensive line was going to look like it was two years ago. But that thing towards the end of this preseason, I'm going. I'm like, going the other way. Another guy's, another guy's hurt. Like I like Dak. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I think his second year was judged against an almost flawless rookie year in an impossible situation. You're stepping in for Romo. You were the third string guy, and then it worked out. And then you were. I mean, his numbers. Go back and look at that. He was unbelievable, and he kept getting better and better. He's making big plays. Like his last year, yeah, he regressed in a lot of the different numbers. But I feel like people are already over Dak all of a sudden. Like Dak doesn't get talked about enough as this next group of young QBs. Like he's an afterthought now in his third year, and that I'm doesn't over. seem. Yeah, you seem over. over him. I'm done. So you would take like Garoppolo, yes, Wentz, yeah, Deshaun, yeah, Josh Allen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who would you take, Luck or Dak? Ooh, for the next three years. I'm terrified of Luck's injuries. You really are. I really am. I don't. I don't like when people miss that much time. When you, they, I feel the same thing with Kawhi. Like. Kawhi is now not will have played basketball for like 21 months. It just makes me nervous. Yeah, but I think that's different. I don't think Luck said, I don't like anybody and I don't like my coach. I'm not going to play for yeah, a year. Well, but Luck has, if he lands on that shoulder again, although maybe with this new rule, nobody will ever land on a shoulder again <laughs> as we continue to just ruin football. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, man, for um, for hanging out on the first one. It was great. Thanks. And I can't wait to get this thing going. Yeah. So thanks. Good luck, man. All right. Okay, McShay's going to be coming up. We're going to be talking college ball, but uh, also the NFL rookie QBs and all that stuff. But I want to remind everybody, when you're on the road trying to go to NFL games, I'll be going to a bunch of college ones. And if I can't get on the sideline, because I'm trying to think who denied me could be on the sideline. Oklahoma once, but that was fair. There's almost no room there. Um, we got kicked out of the Dallas Cowboys, the first ever game in AT&T Stadium. It was actually BYU-Oklahoma. It was not a Cowboys game. And we were there. I think Bradford got hurt. Landry Jones came in. Okay, this is boring. Anyway, SeatGeek, uh, getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. So there you go. You're like, wait a minute, are these good seats? Well, SeatGeek's going to tell you everything you need to know, even if you don't even know the stadium, arena, field, whatever. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget, plus every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I actually do have the SeatGeek app as I get ready for this season. It's on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I actually just use SeatGeek to buy tickets to USC Texas which I'll be going to Austin for very shortly, although I waited too long to get my flight. Now I regret it, but that's a different app. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So if you're close on getting tickets to something anyway, why don't you just get 20 bucks off and use the SeatGeek app? Just download it, enter the promo code Ryan, that's R-Y-E-N, promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Okay, my first one, uh, I wanted to bring in the guy that uh, I've known a long time. Yes, we were friends. We were on the road for uh, a few years, and he actually got me my job back at ESPN. But now here on The Ringer, the dual threat college football with Todd McShay. But Todd, before we go through all the NFL stuff or all the college football stuff, I did want to start with a little NFL thing because 
You had talked about this quarterback class well over a year in advance, saying that it could be thought of as one of the special ones. When we started the season off, you go, you know, there's three guys, and then you don't even know what to do with Josh Allen, and then Baker ends up going number one. What kind of level of interest do you have just even in the preseason, knowing how many months you've spent watching tape of these guys? It's a good question. I've been more dialed in to preseason football in the NFL this year than, than probably ever before. And a lot of it is just because I, well, I want to keep up and I always try to keep up, but there's some parts of it, especially second half of games where you're just like, what, what am I watching this for? But, um, (laughs) I've been there, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Talk about a waste of time. Um, but I'm just so interested in seeing how these guys are playing. Josh Allen playing a little bit more in part because of injury, uh, than, than expected. We've seen, you know, Lamar Jackson kind of up and down. Josh Rosen played well early and then has the thumb injury, so he didn't play week three. And uh, they don't expect him, I don't think, to play week four, as, as of what I recently read. And and then Sam Darnold's had, had a really good camp. And it looks like he's going to probably be the only one of the the um, first-round quarterbacks, five first-rounders, four in the top ten, that winds up as a week one starter for the Jets. We'll see. Uh, Baker Mayfield, it looks like they're, they've always contended that they wanted to sit him, and we'll see at some point. I assume we're going to see him during the season, but I don't think it's going to be week one unless there's an, an injury. Was there anything with the Allen thing? Because I think he was the most, well, the Baker story actually ended up becoming pretty interesting because nobody thought he was going to go ahead of Darnold or maybe even Rosen. And then it comes out no, that a year ago at this time, a year ago at this time, it was Rosen, Darnold, Josh Allen with Lamar Jackson and Baker kind of off in the distance a little bit. Like I had a late second round uh, grade on Baker going into last year. And then he all of a sudden decided to be less Johnny Manziel and more Russell Wilson, which really we started to see after the Iowa state loss. It must've been a a coaching emphasis to stay in the pocket, take seven yard gains when you can get them. Not every play has to be 45 yards down the field. That's what I meant with Manziel, not nothing off the field, just the on the field comparison. Um, and, and he just, he started to look like a pro quarterback going through progressions and, and doing all the little things that you need a quarterback to do at the next level to be successful. And I, I think his stock continued to rise and, and then he became a first half of the first round guy. And then Cleveland with John Dorsey fell in love with him and, and made him the number one overall pick. So, you know, you're talking about a couple rounds that he really improved his stock, at least in my opinion, over the, his last year, his senior year back in 2017. Okay, so you just brought up something, and we've always joked about this because everybody thinks you're an idiot, right? Like you're a draft guy, so you're just mm-hmm. stupid. Um, and I, I don't think that. I think yeah, you, look, I would, you could be my best friend and I wouldn't have you on all the time if I thought you were terrible at this stuff, but you're great at it. You really are. And I've always contended to anybody, you know, friends or people that I've gotten in arguments with, they just always think, and not you, but every draft guy is just a moron. And they go, well, how do you have a second round grade on Baker? And then he ends up being the first pick. And as you just pointed out, like there's a, there was a change in approach, that weird Iowa state loss where you're like, Oh my God, you know? And then Iowa state becomes this team of Matt Campbell where people start going like, you know, look what they're doing here. But, um, is, was it that clear? Like, was it that clear where you're watching him in the version of tape where you're going, Oh yeah, this now is a, 
I mean, is it a is it a top ten grade or is it the quarterback position being emphasized in them? Like it just seems to be in basketball, there would never ever be a guy that would go from a second rounder to a top five pick, and yet it happens with Baker. Right. So I'm I guess I'm asking you to explain in even more detail, like what it is as a draft, as an evaluator guy, if you were in a front office, what you see as such a drastic change to start thinking of him as that kind of pick. Well, it, it, there's a process to it all, right? So last year I watched three or four game tapes on him and all the quarterbacks in May and June just to get ready for the season. And so that's where I come up with a later second round grade. Now I don't get to know Baker Mayfield, the human being like I got to know him until September, October, November, and then part of the the pre-draft process because I'm doing live games, meeting with him, but more importantly, meeting with everyone around him. And so there's that aspect of it. And it's the same for NFL teams too. Because scouts are out there and they're putting together kind of an initial list, but then they're seeing him throw live, which by the way, he's one of the, he's one of the guys and it's hard to explain it, but some guys pop on tape in terms of their arm strength and ability to fit balls into spots. Other guys, you can't tell their arm strength based on the tape and you want to see him throw live. And when I saw him throw live for the first time last year, I, it wasn't West Virginia. I think it was a little earlier in the season, but West Virginia was another game that he had played in. And uh, and then in the, the Rose Bowl as well, you can just, you, you just see on the field when you're watching him live that he has a, a much stronger arm than you kind of get the perception of when you're watching him on tape for whatever reason. It just, sometimes that happens. Um, so you, you start to talk about the arm, the, the, the leadership and everything that comes with Baker. And then the the third aspect that I touched on is that he started to play more like a pro style quarterback. So it's easier to evaluate that aspect of it. And I don't, you know, listen, John Dorsey, maybe he, maybe the first time he watched a single game of him, he thought he was the best quarterback of the group. I don't know. And we'll never really honestly know, but I know a lot of guys in the league, well-respected scouts in the league that do this in, you know, every year scouting a, a, position group scouting a region first of all that had him in the second third round range and that started to see a change in him and started to get to know him the person more and just kind of fell in love with him so it it, it happens there are different reasons and in this case those are really the three key reasons that, that jump out to me all right i want to ask you one more question about the rookies and then transition into college ball here but the Josh Allen one is another example. Like, if he doesn't work out, then everyone's going to go, well, you guys are idiots. Like, why would you guys fall for this again? He's at Wyoming. He can't complete any passes, blah, 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 blah. It was, I thought, a complete drop-off from the talent that he had two years ago to what he had this past year. And, yes, it did look ugly. Um, and even some of the preseason stuff, like, he looked like he was dropping back Tech Mobile style where you just keep going backwards, and then you fling it, and it doesn't work in the NFL as well, and just does in the video game. Um, and then it looked good again. And then it's like, wait a minute. And, you know, that's the, goal. that's the whole thing. Like, if you like Josh Allen, then you bang on that. Like, the same thing with Lamar Jackson. Lamar wasn't very good, wasn't very good, played against the twos, and then had a good game. And then everybody that was a Lamar Jackson stance are seeing, oh, yo, you guys. So, like, the Josh Allen one, like, it is more complicated than everybody just saying NFL people are morons for drafting the kid out of Wyoming that had a bad completion percentage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, listen, I, I had him very high early on last year. And kind of the grade didn't really change that much. He lost four guys that wound up doing something and being on NFL rosters from the offense in Wyoming. Wyoming's not Alabama. They don't, they don't just reload and, and bring in four new players. They're going to wind up being NFL talents on one side of the ball. So there's a huge drop off in talent. They were playing Oregon. Was it Oregon and, my, and Iowa? Iowa, yeah. 
Yeah, Iowa, Iowa and Oregon were the only two times you saw Josh Allen on any kind of television nationally. For the really the first two months of the season, I think there was a night Boise State game. There was that we weird snow and game, and then there was like some weird CBS <clears throat> coverage if you really were looking for it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, right. But who? How many people are really looking for Josh Allen in Wyoming? You know, Little so, West Arthur for a decade. Anytime you, <laughs> anytime you saw him. He was up against it. Just it, it just wasn't. It was ugly. Right. Let's put yeah. it that way. It was bad. It was ugly, right. and it was ugly, and it was like. But it would be ugly if a lot of really good quarterbacks in the league went and played with that supporting cast. Like Ben Roethlisberger had a, a really bad game against Iowa years, you know, years ago in his only national game at Miami of Ohio. And you just you have to kind of keep all the factors in there. And I also think too, I'm covering a lot of Pat Mahomes this. This summer doing the um, preseason games for the Chiefs and these young guys with a lot of talent it's not going to be Brady it's not going to be Breeze it's not going to be as efficient it's almost like Major League Baseball today that's probably the best example it's like you can go two for five in a game but hit two home runs and strike out the other three times and that's a, that's a good game in today's game no one's bunting no one's moving guys over to playing situational baseball it's either a home run or a strikeout and so I think with these young guys, it's a little bit like that where you're, yes, they're making a lot more mistakes than you're used to seeing from the Breezes, the Rogers, the Brady's and, and the elite, but they have a home run ability about their game that is, is different in a lot of respects to any of the other young guys that are coming in. And it kind of makes up for some of those sins, if you will. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. Cause I think the Mahomes thing, and we were talking with Simmons about this earlier. It's like everybody freaked out on social media when he hit Hill with that throw that was like 65 yards on a dime. And I go, yeah, but if you watch him at Tech, like there's a lot of those throws and you're going, what the hell is he doing? Mm -hmm. And like yeah, that's, but, that's, 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 that's the reason. I mean, you know, and I don't know if it's going to put like you, you're not going to be able to like the home run strikeout analogy I get, but like you can't be throwing Hail Marys into picks all the time. And that's actually how they played at Tech. It was crazy. Right. And that's what made him such a difficult evaluation. But knowing the situation he's in and that he's with one of the handful of places that know, like really, really know how to develop a quarterback. And then you had the fact that you could argue, I mean, maybe the Saints, but they're up there in the top three or four teams in the league with offensive weapons. I mean, you don't get many Kelsey's plus three kill plus Hunt at running back. I mean, he's got weapons all around him. So, with the creativity, the ability to coach, the weapons around him, he's in a position to succeed. Whereas Josh Allen, you know, it's, it's going to take a little bit more time. And listen, everyone thinks Pat Mahomes is going to have this monster year, and maybe he winds up because of everything around him. He's still really developing. I mean, I talked to him five days ago. He was saying, I, I was struggling for the first two months last year when I got the job to identify the Mike linebacker. Like, we never did any of that stuff at, at Tech. It was just a different offensive system and mindset. It was about, you know, hurrying up and, and this, that, and the other thing. Like, so I, a third of the time, I was kind of guessing what the mic was, <laughs> the middle linebacker. It seems so crazy. easy on TV. Like, yeah. Right. It, it was a mic, like 53, 53. Um, but then he's like, it's, I started to get it a little bit towards the end of last year, and now I'm kind of on a different level. But yeah, there's still a huge learning curve. And so I, you think about that process and then what these rookies are dealing with the Darnolds and Josh Allen and everybody else like these guys are 19 no they're 20 21 22 year olds that are now taking over billion dollar franchises 
or expected to in the next year or so. And it, it's, it's a lot of pressure, but it's just a lot to learn more, more so than anything. Okay. College ball here. Um, yep. When I think about Clemson's D line, uh, some people think they're all first rounders. I've heard uh, in red and I've heard look from people saying it might be the best defensive line we've ever seen in college. And I don't think that's actually crazy. Um, I love the running backs and their quarterback who look, I don't, I don't love Kelly Bryant, but I think between him and Trevor Lawrence, who's this big time recruit who came in as a freshman that actually led a different five-star guy, Hunter Johnson transferring to Northwestern. And the fact that if mm-hmm. you run through their schedule, other than, you know, I mean, you think they're going to beat A&M. Um, and then they're at Florida state. We're still not sure there. like between the schedule. And here's my rule with any college program. If you play one decent, like big boy, out of conference, then I'm good with you, okay? And I always kind of use it as the Baylor example. Like, Baylor never played anybody, and they wanted credit for scheduling Duke like five years ahead of time. Um, But, you know, I'm not knocking Clemson's schedule. They scheduled A&M, and that's great. But the way it lines up and the defensive talent and the fact that they have two options at quarterback, and I'm starting to wonder if, like, Lawrence is going to take the job from Bryant, and Bryant's more of – he's a better runner than Deshaun was, I think. But, uh, you know, he's probably not the Mm -hmm. same command of the offense that Deshaun had because he was incredible. Uh, It's hard to pick against them, at least on paper, all the things they have going for them. I can't – it's almost starting to feel – making another bad sports analogy, but – it's starting to feel like the NBA almost like it's really hard to imagine a, you know, the 14 playoff without Clemson, Alabama and right. Well, I can't look, I can make a better case against Alabama than I could Clemson with the ACC and the way their schedule goes. And Dabo has this thing rolling from a recruiting standpoint, like, and there's another five-star defensive lineman that they're going to put into the rotation that other people like, I can't even believe this dude didn't transfer and he stayed. So they're recruiting as well as anybody. And I think Dabo has like, he's a real dude. He's in the conversation. Look, he doesn't have Saban or Urban's resume, but he's, he's kind of right there with them. I think. I totally agree. I totally agree. They have they have it rolling down there. Like it's not only Alabama has it rolling, and Georgia's. I bet Georgia in the next year or so is going to get there because they're they're getting closer and closer. I mean, in Ohio, I would say Ohio State. You know, take all the urban sure, stuff. Sure, we're talking on the field away, but from a, right. a recruiting and personnel standpoint, um, yeah, I, I think they have three first rounders on the defensive line, and anytime you have three first rounders. Like I went to Auburn last week to watch a practice preparing for the Washington Auburn game, and they've got Derek Brown and a bunch of really good dudes on the defensive line. It doesn't look like it's not the same look as when you go to Clemson, which is crazy. You know, I mean, Clemson it it looks like Alabama, and Georgia's going to get there soon, and Ohio State is there, and that's about it across the country. Where it's like. All right, the backup comes in. He's a redshirt freshman or a sophomore who didn't play a whole lot last year, but he's he's six four, two hundred and sixty five pounds. He comes screaming off the edge, and he looks the part. They all look the part. Where Auburn, like they're really good. Again, they're really good, but it's still like it's not the same level. Where just walking off the bus, you just look and say, "Man, this looks like an NFL team." And these are eighteen to twenty two year old young men. So I'm I'm trying to remember back, like, one of the great things that I, well, I, I would say I miss it. And I, I one of my favorite things about the job was when we kind of locked in those two years of having you in, you know, with Van Pelt and I, then Danny and I, 
doing kind of that hour wrapping up the college football week. It was just awesome. But every now and then you yeah, give me fun. like a little bit of a like a tidbit. Was was Trevor Lawrence the kid coming into Clemson that you had heard about? Like you rarely will ever stop More me. Than any other player. Yeah, because you you won't say to me, oh, hey, check out this five-star, or hey, I heard a buzz. You don't do that to me ever, and you did it with their backup, who could be, and like, that's correct, right? You said that about Trevor Lawrence. Like, you'd heard stuff about him more so than any other of these younger guys coming in, correct? My brain is going to explode if I try to get into the recruiting thing. Exactly. At that time of year, you know, so I just stay away from all the recruiting stuff. I stay away from the National Signing Day. Don't really get overly involved in the, in spring practices. I'll read up after the fact, you know, when the draft's over in May and June. I've never seen an entire school gush over. But you know, listen, I, had, I I saw him throw a couple um, a couple balls like on YouTube. I think I went and looked after. I've, I haven't seen him really throw live or anything like that. But just talking to Dabo and their offensive coaches, and then some of the, the teammates that were with him when he came in early. The, there is buzz and excitement like no other when it comes to, to quarterbacks coming in. So I, I had to base it solely on that. And he's one of the only true freshmen that, you know, that I really know a whole lot about. But I, I listen, I don't know if he's going to win the job. I don't know how it's going to work. Dabo has a history of trying to kind of slow play that and, and favors the veteran, as he should. Because you, when you have a, a talent lineup like they have on both sides of the ball, you don't want a young guy who's going to come in and make mistakes. You don't want to rush it. You've got, you can afford to take some time. But Lawrence is, I mean, if he's anywhere close to the hype, he's going to be the next, the next big star coming out of the college level going to the NFL. All right. We did a ton on Clemson, but you know what? They deserve it, even though you know we could do – I just didn't want to do 20 minutes on Alabama because I could do that too. I'm, uh, I'm picking Georgia to come out of the SEC. And I'm picking Georgia and Bama. Oh, so you're doing, you think we're going to have two SEC teams in the playoff again? You think so? I so mean, what's I your have, playoff? What do I know right now? Yeah, I know. I but guess, go I, ahead. Uh, Georgia, Georgia, Bama, Clemson, and I went Stanford. You're not worried about Stanford? Washington. Yeah, the schedule is brutal. I think I picked Stanford before I really studied their schedule. <laughs> but I also, <laughs> I also hate doing. I feel like every year we get sucked in by the schedule, and then things things change. I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm I sure like, Washington fans are gonna yeah. love. I, I like one weird one. I do. I mean, Herbie went, I think Herbie one year had Arizona State and somebody else weird, and then like week seven, I, mean, I think it was over by week three. And he was just like week seventies right. on game day. He's like, all right, everybody can shut the bleep up. He's like, I, you know, just, I was, yeah, I was swinging I for it. it. And then I think he came back next year. He's like Clemson, Bama. Um, I, the Washington right. thing, the Washington thing feels like it's more about the rest of the pack 12 and Stanford's offensive weapons should be fine. He's got his own line back. You know, I think more people worry about their defense uh, as, or they worry about the defense as much as they worry about their schedule. When Washington's secondary is insane. And yeah, Stanford. I don't know for whatever reason Stanford's defense has not played like Stanford's defense the last couple of years. You know, no, I mean, not so last year. Yeah, you look at it like, I mean, they gave up forty-two to USC. They gave up thirty-four to um, to UCLA. I mean, there were a couple of games, but they got a little. They got better as the season went on. It's just they they used to be dominant on that side of the ball and just kind of run the ball and, and wear opponents out. Whereas now they're they're almost. They're better on the offensive side, which is not Stanford-like. But 
I don't know. I just I think that they I think they're an underrated team this year. I think Texas. I know we always say Texas, but I think Tom Herman's going to make it a big step with that Texas team too. Those are two teams that kind of stood out as I was preparing for the season. Those teams that just aren't ranked as high or getting as much national credit as I think that they're going to wind up deserving when it's all said and done. All right. So if we go back to Georgia though, and I feel like there's some sort of it wouldn't be a state law. It would be a U.S. law that they have to have another nasty running back, and there'll be like seven different guys. Like the stretch they've yeah, had since year. Gurley and Marshall, and then to have Chubb and Michelle, and then also DeAndre Swift. Um, and, you know, Fromm was good enough to get a guy out in Easton, and at one point I thought Easton had the best arm of any SEC quarterback. And then Justin Fields, this kid who they think they're going to get on the field. I, I feel like, I don't know. Like picking against Bama just feels stupid. For, for any reason, right? I mean, because it's them. But I wonder this Tua Hurts thing is is annoying enough to maybe just get in the way a little bit. And I think you can make an argument that Georgia on paper, uh, especially with not having, what, eight guys missing from last year's defense to the NFL like Bama did. Like, And I know mm-hmm. they reload as well as anybody. But, like, there's – I don't know. I, I guess I feel like there's one year I have to pick against him because I feel like I pick him every year for a decade and not meaning that it's gone. That Like, I can't even really think of the last time I picked – I think I picked Arkansas against him in a regular season game in 2010 once. Uh, but other than that, I don't really pick against him. No, I'm serious. Like, um, who is the quarterback Arkansas had that looked like he got murdered in that game and then the Raiders took and then cut him immediately? I think it took him in the third. Was it Tyler? Uh, yeah. Tyler Wilson, was it? Yeah, it was Tyler Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyler Wilson. All right, good job, good job. We got there, we got yeah. there. Remember when he looked like he died he in that him. game? I mean, maybe we're not supposed to make jokes about that stuff anymore. Oh, he, he was a rag doll. I loved yeah, him though. I was like, look at his toughness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seventh round grade. Let's go. All right, so like, where are you at with Bama's talent then going into this year? I'm at a place where two years ago they had ten players drafted. Last year, they had 12 players drafted. More than half of them seem to always be in the first, second round. And then they reload again and have the most prospects in my top 150 going into the season of any school in the country. I mean, it's just the same thing over and over again. Now, the quarterback thing is interesting. And I've talked to some people who have been to practice and have watched, you know, it's kind of been behind the curtain a little bit, if you will. And they're saying it looks very likely that both are going to play early in the season, kind of play it out, but also like, don't be surprised to see both of them on the field at the same time and doing different things. So I, I don't know what to take from it. I just always assumed Tua would take the job, but then now everyone's saying that Jalen Hurts is, is throwing the ball a lot better, which is hard to believe. Yeah. I don't think you know, it was like, ever his arm strength ever. Uh, but no, what but I like saw accurate, was he's making accurate throws. Yeah. Like I don't, <sighs> Here's the thing. Anybody that goes, hey, Jalen's 27-2, and two, you can't do that to the kid. SEC Offensive Player of the Year is a freshman. He he looked like he made the game uh, national championship winning play against Clemson, and then the defense you know, mm-hmm. couldn't get any pressure, and they, they were toast. And look, I'm, I'm not even... Two years ago, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, we're all on this. I was lucky enough to be on the sidelines of both of those games. And yeah. he made the play. And yet, the thing is, is just to say, oh, Jalen's 27-2, and two, well, Alabama's 27-2, and two, okay? Uh, right. There's a lot more going into it than just Jalen, and I think the biggest issue that you would say with Jalen is that you wanted to see in his second year that after that first read that he would get to a second and third read, and he, he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. It's no. 
it's not arm strength. It's playing the position. And then Tua comes out and you're like, man, this guy just feels more natural back there. So I worry of Saban of all people that would even allow this kind of thing to happen. But I also understand him selfishly being like, I don't want one of the guys to transfer because who knows what if somebody gets hurt. Like I understand him being greedy and being selfish about this thing, even if it's not. Um, That's his and, job. Right. It's the, If it's right not the wrong, best interest of the kid, you know, and like everybody is so anti-establishment and so anti the NCAA now. There's like, how dare Saban do that? Well, you know what? Like. That's kind of the way it goes. Stuff's unfair for coaching players. Like sometimes I'm okay with that, even though it's so unpopular to say it. So I guess the point like that I would make is that I'd be surprised that Saban would even drag out the uncertainty to try to appease two guys, knowing one of them is going to be upset no matter what. I, I think he's dragging it out because honestly, he, he knows he can win with a quarterback that protects the football. He's talented. They have talent everywhere else. And you can say a lot of things about Jalen Hurts, and I've said them all, but he protects the football. Yeah, you're right. Whereas yeah. Tua is going to make, a, you know, going back to Patrick Mahomes, like he's going to make a lot more big-time plays, but he also, the play before the play was, a, I don't know, 15-yard sack, whatever it was, that seemed like he may have ended the, the national championship game by taking that sack. Both of the quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in that game, took huge sacks, and he was able to recover with an unbelievable throw, an unbelievable read, keeping the safety in the, in the middle of the field, and then tr- being able to turn, locate in the millisecond that he turned his head to the left side, that ball comes out. Almost like he wasn't looking at him until the, like halfway through his release. So that's a, that is a senior play or an NFL-type play at the quarterback position, the way he went through that read. And so like that upside is hard to ignore. I, again, I think they're both going to play. I think you're going to see some occasionally some funky stuff from with both of them on the field. But I do think from all reports that, that Hertz is starting to play better. And if they're doing everything else well at a high level and they don't need a, a jolt on the offensive side, I think the safer bet for Saban is to go with Hertz. But if he feels like they don't have enough playmakers and they need, they need a spark, clearly Tua has more upside, if you will, in, in that regard. Right. They're going to be – they're going to be fine a receiver, though, because the Judy and then the other young kid that people mm-hmm. started writing about. Yeah, those young guys are pretty good, man. Right. That one kid that they grabbed from Texas that everybody's like, actually, he stands out at Alabama practices. And you go, oh, okay. Right. Uh, two other teams I want to get to, because I could go through the whole thing, but we're not going to do that. Because um, I just, you know, there's a million different things. I'm, I can't wait for this weekend. Uh, I know. Sorry. So I was out. I had a couple cocktails with Cowherd, my neighbor now in Manhattan Beach. And oh, I don't know. Listen to you now. Listen to you. I know, Who right? are you? Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he loves college ball. And I disagree with him on some things, but he, he started doing his this. His place a little bit bigger than yours? His place is a little bigger than, than his. His new contract's a lot bigger than my new contract. Um, so, okay. I don't know. I just, I'll, I'll just try to always figure out that fork in the road. We're like, how come you never ended up being a guy like that? But that's all right. We'll figure out other paths. Um, that's, for, that's for another therapy session. Right, right. So, um, this Harbaugh stuff is driving me nuts. Okay. If they sucked, if they were going six and six or even worse, then I go, all right, maybe it's time to start knocking this guy around a little. Uh, he's done a bad job developing a steady quarterback. The offense at times has been atrocious. The red zone stuff is even worse for Wolverines fans watching it all the time, but his resume is incredible. Overall, San Diego, Stanford, and NFL success, even though some people want to deny it that because they didn't, you know, Kaepernick didn't hit somebody to 
end zone for a game winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, that somehow that isn't being successful. And, you know, a couple years ago, although a bit of a stretch uh, in the playoff conversation, um, and it's not a stretch to say that they were they were in it, but people that, you know, at the end of the year, they're saying, oh, Michigan's in my four. That was kind of ridiculous. Uh, I've seen Shea Patterson play at Ole Miss. He's a better option than anything that Michigan had last year when Michigan tried a bunch of different guys. I wonder how Patterson's going to fit into a kind of a, a more conservative approach, which is what Harbaugh's always done in the past, unless they change that around with their three different, they have like this three-headed monster as far as like their offensive coaches after Harbaugh. Their schedule's brutal. Notre Dame, they've got Wisconsin. They're at Michigan State. I believe they're at Michigan State. Yep. Uh, yeah, at Michigan State, at Ohio State. That's right. Yep. And then they've got Penn State in between there, too. I want to mm-hmm. kind of pick them because I love their defensive talent, and I want to maybe talk myself into, like, Patterson electrifying things in Ann Arbor there. But here's here's what I – like, Cowherd and I were talking about Harbaugh. I, I cannot – Anybody that's like, oh, this Harbaugh guy that everybody thought was so great. Yeah, he's so great. And you know what? Last year they were bad on offense, but there's enough other stuff. But then Cowherd transitioned into it. I could argue he has a better overall resume than Saban. And I went, okay, now we're going to have to get a check. We'll get the check, and uh, I'll I'll call you next week. <laughs> because they <laughs> not feel too much. Right. So he was basically saying because Saban wasn't great with the Dolphins, and some people say disastrous. I think the exit and the animosity towards Saban makes that Dolphin run seem more disastrous historically than it actually was. Whereas Harbaugh, you know, played in the Super Bowl and almost won the thing. But we're still talking about somebody that at the college level is probably the greatest thing we've ever seen of any era. So I guess I just have sort of a Harbaugh question, like take the Harbaugh conversation any direction that you want to go to, because I I don't get it. I, I think people got tired of like him being out there so much and everyone praising him that the world did this reversal on the guy and people act like he's a clown. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty typical. You know, you, you build somebody up and then they have a little bit of failure and then you're going to come rip them. But I, I think it was kind of built like for this to happen anyway, because, you know, when he came in, there was there was a lot of veteran talent. And then everyone, you know, they lost all those guys, especially on the defensive side to the NFL. And he's kind of been regrouping. But now feels like the year for Harbaugh to me, where he's they've got to take another step. The biggest surprise to me is that they haven't developed a quarterback you know, brought him in, recruited him, and developed him. Because that's what he was known for. Listen, anyone could develop Andrew Luck, but he did. And then, you know, he always seemed to have success. And obviously, obviously with Kaepernick in, in the NFL, he kind of tweaks things and how they're doing it. And still and has a lot of success with, with Kaepernick. So that's the biggest mystery to me. And it doesn't sound like when you talk to people in Michigan, it doesn't sound like these young guys, whether it's McCaffrey or um, – uh, Brandon Peters. Peters, I guess, has played a little bit better this summer from what I've heard. But right. it doesn't sound like any of these guys are really thriving and, and you know, get playing better than expected or playing to the level that you expected when they were early high recruits. So he goes out and gets Patterson. And I've even heard that Patterson's had some up and downs in, in camp, you know, summer camp as well. So it'll be interesting to see, and that's how it's going to be defined this year. But they have 17 guys returning nine guys on the defensive side and they should be a really good football team. Again, tough schedule, but I, I think this is the year where if, if they go, what was it? Eight and five again, then I think you have reason to, to complain about Harbaugh if you're in Ann Arbor. Plus listen, I know Jim and we've done a bunch of these games and I've gotten, you know, we're good, but he can be difficult to deal with. 
And so I, I think if you're a fan, like you can put up with being difficult to deal with if you're Nick Saban and you're winning every year. And I think now coming off of five, five loss season and the losses to Ohio State, I just I think it's starting to build a little bit, but I, I would agree it's unfair. This is the year, though, to me, where it kind of it's going to turn one way or the other on him because they should be really, really good based off of all the talent they've brought in. And you get a, a guy like Patterson, who's got to learn how to play on schedule, by the way. I mean, he his best plays at Ole Miss were always the broken down plays. Dude, I mean, he loves them. Around. I don't think people get it. Like, he I'm still, him. I can't wait for Michigan fans week one to actually go, oh, wait. Are, are like, you know, you can talk about practice or anything else that you've seen with him, but it is, it's pretty wild. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I mean, that guy loves getting. going to put up with that. Well, he never has. He's never really run an offense like that. And I think, you know, with Peters last year, he was supposed to be the solution just because it was going to be different than Spate. You know, and some of that stuff's on Spate, too. Um, But they tried a bunch of different things. And then Spate, like, would just freeze. And then, you know, it was weird. Everything sort of uh, transitioned towards blaming Harbaugh. All right. A few more minutes because I know I have to let you go. I got to talk West Virginia because we we need to bring up this team. Um, they're not the Big 12 favorites. Oklahoma clearly is, and Murray's a terrific runner. We'll see how great of a thrower he is. I think a lot of the Oklahoma stuff has been said before. We know West Virginia's M.O. from the past, um, 90th in points allowed, but if you look at like Rose and Robinson and Bigelow and some of the transfers that they brought in, you, I guess on paper, feel like they should be better defensively, but tell me about what Greer is possible of and the fact that they will play Oklahoma to close the season in Norman. Greer is a he's a kind of a gutty player. He's he's talented. I don't I wouldn't put him in the, the level of any of the quarterbacks like first round pick. I think he's more of a mid round guy that comes in and competes for a backup. He sounds spot. white. Is he white? But they, what's that? Is he white? This sounds like a white guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's gritty. He's smart. He's an overachiever. Um, <laughs> but I, Listen, I think they can be explosive offensively. Defensively, I think they're well coached. They just don't, they haven't had a lot of talent. And so that, that's going to be the big thing in that conference. If you can play a little bit of different defense, you got a shot. But, you know, they, the quality opponent thing bugged me with them last year. I did the, the Virginia Tech game. Uh, they lost to TCU. They lost to Oklahoma State. Lost to Texas. Lost to Oklahoma. So basically, when you looked at the schedule, and I don't have the whole thing in front of me, but if you looked at the schedule from last year, they beat the teams they should have beaten, and they lost to the teams that that are quality opponents. And so, I, can, can they take that next step this year? And I think a big part of that is going to be on the defensive side. Listen, we know Greer's a good player. We know that he's got some weapons. Gary Jennings, um, David Sills are quality receivers, really good college receivers. But I think I think with Tony Gibson, the defensive coordinator, he's got to – hopefully they got some more talent. Everyone in the Big 12 respects him as a coach and the different looks that he, he provides. It's just a matter of getting better players on the field and – only time will tell. But I, I think they're really an intriguing team to watch. I think Texas, as I said, is going to be better than people think. I think TCU might take a little bit of a dip with only 11 starters coming back. But um, but Oklahoma still, I think they're the best coach team in the Big 12. And one of the, I, mean, I would put him up there with the top 10, maybe even like top six or seven coaches in all of college football. I mean, there are NFL people that are comfortable telling me and telling other people that they're actually flying to Norman to pick his brain, to pick uh, Lincoln Riley's brain and to look through their offense and do different things. And so to me, that's, um, you know, it's, I, we saw it with Baker last year. We'll see now with a new quarterback, but 
I think when you have a coach at that level, you're going to be okay. And I think they're still the team to beat, in my opinion. Todd, I can't wait, man. What's your first game for ESPN? We got Washington, Auburn, 3.30 on ABC uh, Saturday. Oh, where are you going to be for that? Uh, on the sideline? No, neutral neutral site. I was I was letting you. Oh, sorry, sorry. Right. I was like, we're, uh, have you ever watched? Um, <laughs> we are, yeah, we're in Atlanta at the Mercedes-Benz Zone. <laughs> That's what Sorry, I was trying to. Sorry, a lot of travel this week. I'm no, all over the no, board. that's fine. And I know you're busy, man. And uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, I was I was happy to have my first Ringer College Football Podcast be with my guy. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, bud. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. All right, that'll do it for the first episode of the Dual Threat Podcasts for the Ringer. Make sure you subscribe to the Dual Threat Podcast Ringer page. I guess iTunes, everything else. Uh, I'm Ryan Russell. We'll do this every single week. Subscribe, rate, and review.